Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for Jesus, for his life and his death and his resurrection. That it is in Jesus that you make all things new. And Lord, I pray for that person who's been living a life estranged from you. I pray for the person who perhaps has been living in secrecy or timidity. Lord, I pray that you would cause the secret disciple to come forward boldly and the timid disciple to speak his or her mind. Lord, we pray that you will speak to hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38, it says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as is the custom of the Jews to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Amy Grant had a popular song and part of the lyrics went, For the sake of never making waves, I kept my secrets to myself. And no one ever really knew the darker shadows of my heart. At the end of chapter 19, Jesus has died. And at the end of this chapter, John records the piercing of Jesus' body in verses 33 and 34. And then the preparation of his body in verses 38 through 40. And then the placing of his body in a new garden tomb, one in which no one had ever been laid before. And John's gospel reveals that Jesus is in charge of the details of his death, but also in the details of his burial. Clearly, Jesus died a criminal's death. But how is it that Jesus is going to escape a criminal's burial? The prophet Isaiah had spoken hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah 53, 9, it says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The Romans typically didn't allow people who were ex- executed for treason and for sedition to be buried 
along normal funeral customs. And the Jews certainly didn't allow people hanged on a tree to necessarily be buried in the family sepulcher. So how is it that Jesus, who is born into a poor family with no visible assets and what limited assets he he has has already been taken by the Roman soldiers who has stripped his body? How is it going to be possible for this man to be buried with the rich? The answer includes God's calling of two men to step forward, and they will fulfill prophecy. And one is a secret disciple, and the other is a timid disciple. There may have been a time in your life where you were a secret disciple of Jesus or a timid disciple. As a matter of fact, it could very well be that this morning you're hiding something. Is there something about you that you believe is better off left concealed? At the moment, following Jesus' death, the Holy Spirit will call two disciples to come out of the closet and into the open. Do you want the leading of God in your life? Then you have to be willing to follow Him. And you have to be willing to follow where He's going. It was Henry Ward Beecher who wrote, The strength and happiness of a man consists in finding out the way in which God is going, and then going in that way also. Did Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus secretly conspire together to bury the body of Jesus? Or or was the circumstances surrounding the death of Jesus cause for Joseph and Nicodemus? To expose themselves as true followers of Jesus and step forward and claim the body and be forever remembered. Look what it says. A secret disciple goes public in verse 38. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the the body of Jesus. But remember, Pilate has already been embarrassed by the Jewish leadership. Going to him now could create nothing but problems and and nothing but pain. And because he's already been duped once, we know that that he has informed the Roman guard that is around the, 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 the circumstances of the death of Jesus. He's surprised, according to another gospel. He can't quite believe that he could already be dead. And so he says, make sure that he's dead. And you'll remember what happens. The side of Jesus is pierced and blood and water flows. The word disciple occurs some 269 times in the Greek New Testament and the word Christian is found only three times. The word disciple doesn't mean super Christian or super committed Christian or super open Christian, although I suspect that discipleship incorporates discipline and it it incorporates commitment and it incorporates transparency. The four Gospels paint a more detailed portrait of the mystery man, 
Joseph of Arimathea. The four Gospels describe Joseph as being from a place called Arimathea. But guess what? You can't find it on any Bible map. I have been to the Holy Land many, many times. I have devoted my life to understanding the content of the Bible and the geography of the Holy Land. And Arimathea is nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, it remains a, a mystery. Some believe it to be Ramathaim Zophim, which was the ancestral birthplace of the prophet Samuel, but nobody knows for sure. And secret disciples often have a kind of aura and a shroud of mystery around them. Joseph is called a rich man of Arimathea in Matthew 27:57. He's called a counselor in Luke 23:50. He's called an honorable counselor in Mark 15:43. He's called a good man and just in Mark 15:43. And that Joseph quote had not consented to the counsel and deed of them according to Luke 23:51. So apparently, when the Sanhedrin, that council of seventy to which he belonged, gathered, there was a sense of opposition position and reluctance on the part of Joseph to condemn Jesus and he's described in Mark 15:43 and Luke 23:51 as waiting for the kingdom of God as a matter of fact in Mark 15:43 it says Joseph of Arimathea a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage went into Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus and we're told that he bought fine linen in Mark 15:46 and fine by the way in the original language means absolutely positively expensive and he took him down and he wrapped them in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher his own new tomb it says in Matthew 27:60 wherein never a man laid we see in our own text in verse 41 which was hewn out of the rock it says in Mark 15:46 and rolled a stone Matthew 27:60 describes it as a massive stone unto the door of the sepulcher in Mark 15:46 in Matthew 28:2 and then in Matthew 27:60 it says and he departed the poet said he bears him to his new hewn tomb. Jesus, to whom he did not bow, he leaves him in its sacred gloom. His Lord, his Savior, now. What was it? What was it that motivated him to expose his secret as a disciple of Jesus? What was it that made Joseph lose fear and embrace love. The text reads, for fear of the Jews. And rightly so, a public profession would have been misunderstood. Clearly his position and his prestige would have been called into question. And clearly the Bible says that he was a secret disciple. And could it be that Nicodemus had come and spoken to him and impressed upon him some of the nuances of this particular teacher? 
And with the death of Jesus, it causes Joseph to come forward. And he does what he dared not do before. That's what the cross does, by the way. The cross will often draw a line in the sand and you know how you are most likely to get rid of fear in your life. The best way to get rid of fear in your life is to do that which you fear most. Have you ever made Jesus the Lord? But you refuse to go on record. You don't talk about your friendship and your fellowship with the Lord at work. And you don't talk about your friendship and fellowship with the Lord at school. And you don't talk about the friendship and fellowship. And maybe even in your own family, you don't talk about your friendship and fellowship with the Lord. It's Someone once told me, and I think that they've rightly said, if the people closest to you don't know that you love Jesus then you have every reason to question whether or not you really do. The cross had done something. The cross pushed him over a line. The cross caused Joseph to step across an invisible line of of fear and risk his resources and risk his reputation and even risk his life. And Joseph will ask for something that's normally denied under Roman law. At a time when the public followers of Jesus, at a time when the loyal followers of Jesus have fled, at a time when Peter finds himself sobbing in some dark corner, at a time when Judas is carefully measuring the rope that he's going to put around his own neck, a secret disciple goes on record and comes forward. How many people do you know who are very much like Joseph? Maybe you yourself have been like him. Not quick to speak. There are secret disciples. There are covert Christians in the most unlikely of places. And I've met them all over the world. At one time in my life, I was very close to the border of Somalia in the northernmost part of Kenya. And many young men who had come to a saving knowledge of the truth and, and Christ had snuck across the border of Somalia and into Kenya. But if they openly, freely, clearly, wonderfully proclaimed the name of Jesus, they would almost certainly be arrested. They would almost certainly be killed. They would almost certainly suffer un unspeakable tortures and their family would be harassed. I know, I know that it's possible that Jesus has placed people in, in, in circumstances that you and I are completely oblivious to in Saudi Arabia, in North Korea, in the hearts of the governments of Iran and Pakistan. If the Lord can place secret disciples in the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, there's no place where Jesus can't carefully position people that you would otherwise have no idea. In John chapter 12, verse 42, 
we're reminded, it says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they didn't confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. John usually has a very dim view of covert Christians, secret disciples. As a matter of fact, we're reminded of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, where he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. In Luke 12, 4, Jesus said, I say to you, my friends, not my enemies, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And there is a moment. There are sometimes critical issues and uncommon events where fear no longer becomes the safe course and love replaces fear and you march forward into the bold arms of open confession of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus awakened something inside of Joseph. To go and plead with Pilate for the body would have taken great courage. Like I said, He's fed up with the Jewish leaders. He not only makes that risk, but he also risks the disfavor and the discipline of the Sanhedrin. Joseph could not bear the thought of the Savior's body being thrown into some garbage heap or being eaten by wild animals. And the events surrounding the death of Jesus must have had a tremendous impact on him. Not just simply the claims of Jesus in the Old Testament prophecies, but now all of a sudden the darkness, the earthquake, the torn veil. He was willing to risk everything and go public. Now the love and the care and the affection collide in a kind of human, emotional, nuclear fusion, a chain reaction of courage and boldness and sacrifice. And according to the text, Joseph not only comes forward, but he will use his own tomb. His own tomb. Make no mistake about it, he had thought about his own death. And he had made preparation for his own death. But now, in a daring act, he does something. Let me ask you a question. I don't know the answer. But we should ask it. Does Joseph know that the tomb is borrowed? Does he know that it's only going to be occupied for a few brief moments? The cross of Jesus has made a secret believer go public. And remember, on earth, he doesn't have much. 
He's born into a poor family. He's born in a manger. He's, he's born in a stable. And throughout his life, he has nothing that you could safely call his own. The Bible says that he didn't have any place to rest his head. He preached from a borrowed boat. And now he is going to be placed in a borrowed tomb. The secret disciple goes public. And a timid disciple goes public. Look what it says in verse 39. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, which is a gelatinous cream, if you will. It says about 100 pounds. And by the way, the weight translated pound is a Greek word. It's litra. In the plural, litron. It is... From the Greek, uh, a unit of measurement is about 12 ounces. And so the way that this would translate is to about 75 pounds of spice. That's a lot of spice. As a matter of fact, you may not understand this. But Nicodemus has brought enough spice. Not to just bury one person, but to bury many people. This is the amount of spice that you would use to bury a king. It's hard for you, perhaps, to comprehend exactly why a person would need that much spice in order to bury a body. But in the ancient world, the spices would have been used to mask the odor of death and decay. In the ancient world, the spices would have been crammed into the mouth and into the ears and into the nostrils. And so for those people who live under the illusion that Jesus swooned and that he comes back to life, the orifices in his body are crammed with the spices. And so that if any oxygen had any chance of getting inside of that body, it was completely gone now. The presence of the spices would ordinarily mask the order of death in an ordinary death, but this is no ordinary death, and this is no ordinary person. Jesus is without sin. We've already been introduced to Nicodemus in chapter 3 and chapter 7, verses 50 through 53. As a matter of fact, everywhere that Nicodemus is mentioned in John's Gospel, it says he came by night. He is the Jewish leader, it's described, who comes to Jesus by night. He's been described as the master teacher of Israel. As a matter of fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? And they answered and said to him, are you from Galilee? Search and look for no no prophet has arisen out of Galilee and everyone went to his own home. My friend uh, Bob Ayala used to sing a song that he came by night as silent as a hunter on a hill. The moon, his light, his cloak, a moving shadow while he walked and Nicodemus came. He says, Nicodemus, did you ever dream that you would carry him away to the grave? Nicodemus. Warren Wiersbe writes, But the man who started off with confusion at night 
ends up with open confession in the daylight. This is the same Nicodemus who was told that you must be born again and that you must be born on high. This is the same Nicodemus who challenges the Sanhedrin. And when the Sanhedrin says to him, Does, are you from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. I suspect that the teacher of Israel the teacher of Israel began to re-examine those prophecies and he probably asked and answered that question. What if Nicodemus did exactly that? That he searched and he looked. Condemnation before examination lies at the heart of most ignorance and maybe you in your life at some point was challenged with the claims of Jesus but you dismissed them on their face. Well, the Bible can't really be true and the prophecies can't really be true and the, and the historical narrative can't really be true. But what if it is true? Search and see, does any prophet come out of Galilee? Well, I did search and there, there is a, a prophet who came out of the Galilee. His name was Jonah. He was from a, a place in the northern part of the Galilee called Gath-Ephah. Well, if they're wrong about that, could it be possible that they're wrong about other things? And you've probably had family and friends and people who have said to you, you know, the Bible is just a, it's a myth, it's a legend, and it's filled with all kinds of contradictions. And perhaps it's time for you to stand up and say, well, show me one. Show me one. Let's look together and see whether or not these things are so. We're often influenced by our friends and neighbors for better or for worse, but with such a wealth of knowledge that Nicodemus certainly had from the Torah and from the rest of the Jewish scriptures. And because he devotes himself to the identity of the Jewish Messiah, apparently the events surrounding the cross stirs him also. Didn't the prophets predict Messiah's re rejection in Psalm 118.22? Didn't the prophets say that he would be a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53.3? Didn't the prophets hint that he would die among thieves in Isaiah 53.12? Didn't the prophets state that the people would stare at the Messiah in death in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10? And didn't the prophet teach that he would be buried among the rich in Isaiah 53.9? Was Nicodemus aware? That prophecy was beginning to unfold right before his eyes. And have you ever woken up and asked this question, Lord, what does the day hold for me? What does the day hold for this community? And what does the day hold for America? And what does the day hold for the world? And for a brief moment, you're drawn away from your own preoccupations. And you begin to ask and answer the question, is prophecy beginning to unfold right before your eyes? Is God's plans and purposes beginning to unfold, not just in the life of some individual, but in every life, and is God's plans and purposes coming to an abrupt and final chapter? 
Perhaps in some way Nicodemus failed Jesus in life, but he wasn't going to fail him in death. And perhaps Nicodemus doesn't even understand all of the stirrings that are taking place in his heart. But secret believers often find themselves in positions of insecurity and doubt. And by the way, if you find yourself in a position of insecurity and doubt, it is okay for you to say, where am I at? What do I really believe? I'm going to suggest to you that the suspicions of Nicodemus caused him to share his concerns with his friend Joseph. Do you suppose that Nicodemus bought this massive amount of spice at the last minute? And by the way, you have to understand something. Getting 75 pounds of myrrh is an enormous task. Remember that just a tiny jar, the spikenard of myrrh, was a year's wage. And so now think about this for just a moment. Seventy-five, hours, excuse me, seventy-five pounds is the amount that you could accumulate if you lived about thirteen lifetimes. Do you understand why this is the amount of spice that you would use to bury a king? Does he? Store all of this spice up for himself and for his own funeral and his own burial? Or has he always known? Whatever the case, Nicodemus steps forward in faith and in love. Did you know that the World Christian Encyclopedia estimates that there are 112 million churchless Christians worldwide, and that represents about 5% of all people who name the name of Christ worldwide, and the number is expected to double by the year 2025, and I suspect that there are secret believers in every part of the world who are quietly pointing people to consider the claims of Christ, and like I said, I don't give a cart blanket condemnation because there are secret Believers in Jesus who have very, very, very much to lose. In Somalia, it probably means death. In Saudi Arabia, it almost certainly means death. In North Korea, it almost certainly means death. In Egypt, it means that you can no longer practice law and you can't practice medicine and you can't participate at a professional level. In parts of Africa, secret disciples come forward when the issues demand it. And at the moment when the public disciples have lost courage because of persecution, it's at that moment that sometimes the secret disciple will come forward and draw a line in the sand. That's what the cross does. The public disciples flee at the very moment that Joseph and Nicodemus come forward. You know, sometimes a wife of an abusive husband who's repeatedly punished for her faith chooses to remain silent. Secret disciples have public moments. And public disciples have secret moments. 
And in times of persecution, public disciples may engage in secret service. In persecution, many a public disciple may engage in secret activities like smuggling Bibles. We have people in our own church who have gone to China and who have from the Chinese border slipped into the very, very walls of the North Korean border in order to bring Bibles to those who have none. Even Paul the Apostle at one moment in his career was snuck out of the city of Damascus under pain of death. We may see secret disciples come forward and stand publicly for Jesus at critical and opportune times. But even if it is a limited to a close circle of intimate friends, we see secret disciples sharing their faith with others. And the transition is made into broad daylight. Look what it says in verse 40. Then they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. You have to understand that these strips of linen would have been taken a powder, it's myrrh, along with the aloe. It would have made a spread very much like mayonnaise. Imagine taking a a, a, a piece of bread and some mayonnaise and spreading the mayonnaise on the bread, they would take the strips and when the body died, they would fill the orifices with the spice, they would wrap the head, then they would tie the, the, the um, hands together in this manner and then they would bind the ankles and then they would take the strip and then they would wrap the body and as they washed and cleansed the body and wrapped the body they would have had to do it in a, in a, in a hurried fashion because it has to be done before dark in verse 41 it says now the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid the tomb according to the text was near the place where Jesus was crucified and we've already seen that that is called Golgotha in the Aramaic it's called Calvary in the Latin and death by crucifixion rendered a person unclean and accursed so the moment that Joseph takes the body and Nicodemus takes the body. These two prominent council members are rendered unclean in order to participate in the Passover. But sometimes, sometimes love is more powerful than fear. And sometimes when you love, Fear goes away and you risk the condemnation. And that's exactly what happens. It was Josephus who said, Jews are so careful about funeral rites that even malefactors who have been sentenced to crucifixion are taken down and buried before sunset. And there was a garden, it says. We remember all the way back to Genesis where God places Adam and Eve in a garden. In the first garden, Adam sinned and through his sin, death fell on all of mankind. And here in another garden, the last Adam pays the sin debt and provides the incorruptible seed that's going to bring forth a new birth and eternal life. And in verse 42, it says, so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews 
preparation day. That means preparation for the Passover. For the tomb was nearby. John MacArthur writes, and I quote, Joseph and Nicodemus were motivated by the need to finish their work before the Sabbath began. But there was a more significant reason that the Lord need, needed to be buried before sundown. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus had predicted, quote, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, unquote. In other words, that prophet, that other prophet from Galilee, Jesus quotes him. Jesus needed to be buried while it was still Friday so he could be in the tomb for three days, part of Friday afternoon, Saturday, and part of Sunday morning. Remember, any part of the day is the day. In his burial as well as death, Jesus orchestrates all of the details according to God's revealed plans. Think about that for a moment. A person condemned to die, orchestrating the events, and a person, even in his death, orchestrating his burial? Remember, the death of Jesus is not an ordinary death, and the burial of Jesus is no ordinary burial. He'll die to ransom us from the bondage of sin, and he will die to prove his power over death, and he will die in order to give us hope. What would have happened? If his body had remained unburied. I'm going to suggest something to you. The Bible says that he was without sin. And because he was without sin, his body was incapable of corruption. But that isn't the most important reason. The most important reason is you. Joseph had made preparation for his burial. And Nicodemus had made preparation for his burial. And each and every one of us understands that as we march forward into that thing called the future, each and every one of us face the certainty of death apart from the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it was... Jesus, who told his disciples, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. It says in John chapter 12, verse 32, a thief on the cross next to Jesus begs the Savior to remember him in his future kingdom. An underground disciple comes forward in Christ's death. A timid teacher declares his love and loyalty with a gift that's fit for a king. And the power of the cross has already begun to operate. It's already begun to draw people. A sinner is transformed into a saint and a coward is transformed into a hero. And a man who is unsure or unable to come forward makes an eternal and a perpetual and a permanent decision to come out of the closet and into the light. He's not going to live in secret anymore. There are secret disciples even now. What do you suppose would motivate a person? Motivate a covert Christian, a secret disciple to re remain underground? Guess what? I'm going to suggest to you that the cross of Christ is the pivotal point 
that pushes the envelope so that people must at some point come clean. Open. There was a young man who was martyred in Africa. I have shared this with you before, but it bears sharing in the present. This note was found on his desk when they found his body. He'd been beaten to death. Before he died, he wrote, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast and the decision has been made. I've stepped over the line and I won't look back and I won't let up and I won't slow down and I won't back away and I won't be still. My past is redeemed and my present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living and sight walking and small planning and smooth knees and colorless dreams and tame visions and mundane talking and cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity or position or promotion or plaudit or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on God's presence. I love with patience and live by prayer and labor with power. My face is set and my gate is fast and my goal is heaven and the my road is narrow and my way is rough and my companions are few and my guide is reliable and my mission is clear i cannot be bought or compromised or detoured or lured away or turned back or deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up or shut up or let up or slow down until I've stayed up and stored up, and prayed up, and paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I must go until He comes. Give till I drop, and preach till I know, and work till He stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Your life will lead you in a particular direction. And someday, someone will find your body. And I hope and pray that this is the note that's attached. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, I pray for the secret disciple. I pray that he or she might find the courage to come forward in faith. Lord, I pray for the timid disciple that when the voice screams inside of our heart, remain silent. That, Lord, we would open up our mouth. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who, like Nicodemus and like Joseph of Arimathea, as they ponder the prophecies and as they consider the circumstances and as they realize that all that the Bible has to say about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection are undeniably and unmistakably true. Lord, I pray that they would open up their heart and that they would pray to receive Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the darkness would become light and I pray that death would become life and I pray that fear would become love and that we could walk with boldness coupled with humility. Open disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.